0: Hello, this is the Kilt in the Cloth, presenting the B&B Show with Dr. Kevin Bond and Reverend Joshua Bell as we discuss theology and philosophy. You're welcome. Today's subject, we're going to be talking about specifically if humans had souls, when and where are they created? I hope you enjoy our show. Rock on. Well, hello, Kevin. Hello, Josh. So here we are, we're talking about souls and the conversation about it, we decided we cover a light topic this evening. Huh. And uh, I hope you're as excited as I am as we talk about the souls. We'll just blame your wife for this episode. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a it's kind of a fascinating conversation. when We start talking about souls. It's one of those conversations that truly bridges both areas of expertise mm-hmm. uh, between philosophy and theology. We both discuss it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use a lot of the same people. And so uh, I thought it would be really cool if we kind of just started off like we did last time and kind of talk a little bit about the his- history uh, philosophically of where the soul comes from, in, in your opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So much like last week, we start with the ancient Greeks. Uh, in particular, we're going to go way back to about 900, 600 B.C.E., uh, mostly with the poets, it's like Homer, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. That's where we first start seeing notions of the soul in Western philosophy. Uh, but it's very vague in Homeric right. stories. So we know humans can lose their souls. Uh, there's some notion that a shade will leave the body and go to the underground and lead some kind of afterlife there. Um, but it's not really a full-developed personality at this point. It's just literally some part of you that moves on. Uh, there's also notions about uh, people have good souls and bad souls. So soul is starting to be associated with a person's character. And the, the good soul will influence you to do good acts or make good choices, whereas the bad soul will make you do bad things. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, we also start getting this idea that a soul is what lets the body move or bodies move because the soul is somehow the moving principle of the body. Uh, So kind of cool thing about that. uh, Obviously people have souls because people move, but also uh, consequently animals have souls, plants have souls. Fire has a soul, because fire moves. Fire, fire. Yeah, fire. Uh, magnets have souls, because when you put magnets near each other, they move spontaneously without outside force, seemingly. So anything that can move or grow is considered to be unsold at this point.
0: Oh, cool. I hadn't thought about it that way. I knew that we had talked about in our conversation that there was this idea of, of movement. I didn't mm-hmm. put it together that the magnets were, they had souls. That's what yeah retracts or... Yeah. Brings them closer together.
1: Yeah. Almost by definition, if it moves, it can only move because it has a soul.
0: That's super cool. On its own. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to move on its own. Yeah.
1: And and one kind of cool implication of this is you can explain really odd things with souls, like throwing a baseball. Uh, You know, when you grab a baseball, pull your arm back and throw it. uh, According to this view, the reason the baseball moves is because you have imparted part of your soul to the baseball. Oh, cool. And... As your soul leaves the baseball, that's why it drops to the ground and eventually rolls to a stop because your soul no longer has influence on it. So, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing to describe why things move and how motion actually exists.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that because in the theological terms, one of the problems that we have is this idea in the Hebrew world, um, it's, well... The, the Hebrew world does not have an idea of soul. So all human beings are what the Hebrew word would be, nefesh, uh, which means life-giving vital breath, which mm-hmm. would be the ruach. So in the Hebrew world, the ruach is the essence of the creator breathed into a, an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. And then therefore that soul is transferred by the Ruach of God, mm-hmm. the breath of God. But other than that, th- th- really, we just use the word nephish in the Hebrew culture world. Uh, you know, and, and we're going to talk more about that as we get into after Plato, because mm-hmm. really Christianity then decides, oh, yeah, watch this. And they, they go all kinds of different ways with soul. But up in, the, in this period of time, historically, the, the theological world for the Hebrews, th- there's a nephish uh, mm-hmm. It's been filled with the ruach of God, mm-hmm. and and therefore is has only one purpose. Oh, and I have to tell you that part too, because the one purpose is to to do the work of Torah, which again was a thought out concept that came like four or five hundred years after mm-hmm. it had been written down. So, my my favorite part of this discussion is uh, then the Jews did not have a concept of heaven or
1: hell. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like when you were saying that the shade goes into the ground and mm-hmm. basically, I think you said dissipates.
1: It's kind of unclear what happens. There's some stories, there is some kind of afterlife in a hall where you meet all your departed friends and family. Oh, wow, that's cool. But other stories, it, it is just kind of this weird, ghostly existence. Um, uh, some kind of entity but doesn't really have an idea of the self or personality. It just, it exists. Oh, how cool.
0: Well, so... In the Hebrew world, the Ruach of God is passed on to the Nefesh, and then when you die, mm-hmm. the, the Ruach returns to the Creator. Okay. And then your body wanders around aimlessly in what's called Sheol. Mm-hmm. So like where Homer is having this idea right. that the Hebrew world has created a place for mm-hmm. your physical body. And, and, and it's fascinating because mm-hmm. in their image... There's there's like a cave,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there are all these human bodies just walking around in circles, mm-hmm. because the will of God has left them right. and is no longer needed. Oh wow! <clears throat> and it co- coincidentally at the same time, uh, the ancient Near the like the ancient Egyptians uh, believed that the soul went on to another plane of existence mm-hmm. after one dies, but then uh, you could bring it back. Mm-hmm. Like it was lost in the afterlife, but then it was brought back by uh, where, where we get the first conversation of reincarnation. Right. Okay. So, uh, so that would have been a, a, probably the Egyptian Egyptians would have been before and maybe during the time of Homer, mm-hmm. um, but really their their idea of death and soul mm-hmm. were completely different than the Hebrews. Right. But then they were completely the same. Right. Right. right like the idea is, is that the the essence of what we call soul is still there, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's cool you mentioned the Egyptians because that leads right into the next philosopher to talk about. Right. Um, So after the the poets give their idea of the soul, uh, the pre-Socratics, who we met last time. That's right. uh, Particularly Pythagoras. So most people might recognize his name from nightmares of high school geometry. Yes.
0: Still have nightmares of that.
1: Yeah. Well... He studied with the Egyptian priest. He studied oh, I didn't realize that. astronomy, theology, and geometry. Oh, how oh, cool! And so, in Western philosophy, he's the first one that kind of really articulates the idea of a soul being immortal. Oh. So he, he brings, I guess, that Egyptian idea uh, yeah. into the ph- philosophic fold. Uh, so yeah, now uh, the soul is part of a person. Um, it's entombed in the body. So there's some idea that the body is a prison that the soul's trying to get escape. out of and escape. And he also brings this idea that once once you die the soul goes on to be purified and become better and then the soul can go back into other bodies.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. I remember us having this conversation which is which is fascinating to me that he felt that way but nobody else in his culture did. Right. <laughs> like right. That, that was super right. revolutionary. Uh, like theologically, <clears throat> when we talk about Pythagoras, uh, he doesn't really come up in the conversation a whole lot, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird for me. I bet you he comes up in more institutional-based movements, like yeah. maybe Eastern Orthodox or mm-hmm. Catholicism, because they they have a more fleshed-out idea of soul than right. us crazy Protestants. <laughs> to, you know, mm-hmm. so I I think that's neat, but really theologically. Uh, the soul was not formally fleshed out at this point. Mm-hmm. So by the time pre-Socratics come in, uh, we're we're coming up with ideas, but uh, it, it doesn't really change um, for the Hebrew world until really about the time of the Maccabees, mm-hmm. and and then it's it's still the same. Uh, but we don't know what to do with the idea of martyrs.
1: Right.
0: What do you do with someone that dies for what they believe in, mm-hmm. um, and, and and is their soul? Does, is there a soul does the ruach go away and is their body transformed into sheol oh I forgot this part and then there's this idea in the Hebrew world that human beings have the ability uh to be greater than humans like we would call them demigods okay. uh in the Hebrew world they call them Mashiachs. Mm-hmm. um and and I'm my Hebrew Bible professor would punch me in the face for saying that but uh, i I look at the way that they classify Mashiachs in the Hebrew Bible in the sense of they lift up the community, they do amazing things, they create miracles, they move Mm -hmm. things, like Mm -hmm. physically, like Moses parting the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just think that's kind of fascinating when you have Noah and the flood, like he builds this boat that sits on top of the water as the world is being washed away. The Tower of Babel, Mm that they build this huge tower and then it gets knocked down uh, and then everybody, that's why we all speak different languages. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. So there's this idea, but it doesn't fully become fleshed out until much later in the, in the Hellenistic period, right. which is where we go next, mm-hmm. really. I mean, so philosophically, we have Plato. Of course. Of course. As yes. always. always. goes to
1: Plato. Uh, so Plato's coming about 100 years after Pythagoras, and he starts to really articulate what eventually becomes this idea of substance dualism. So what that says is that fundamentally, there are two different substances. There's body and spirit. Uh, so he starts articulating that the soul is the essence of humanity. Now it is responsible for the way we think, the way we feel, the way we make choices. Um, and again, there's kind of this idea that the body is a prison or it, what, it's what drags you down. So you try to develop your soul to become a good person.
0: But Plato doesn't believe that the soul is immortal.
1: Uh, it, it kind of depends on what you read. Some of his work, he does seem to go with the idea that the soul is going to be immortal. Okay. So, yeah, a couple of his books he'll talk about, that's where you actually learn things, is after you die, your soul moves on, learns things, and then comes back into a body, and then know things oh
0: so it's a passing of it's a transference of knowledge yes and and uh conscience maybe mm-hmm. like a, what's right and what's wrong
1: mm-hmm.
0: so then arist well we don't want to skip ahead and go to aristotle but it's kind of hard not to because <laughs> like when when plato comes into the in the picture you start having the conversation then because of hellenism mm-hmm. um the The Greeks start to dis- define specifically, like the logos, uh, mm-hmm. which then becomes the mind or the word, right? In the Greek world, the the thymus or the emotion or the spiritedness uh and it's always masculine. I have to point that out, mm-hmm. which is weird because the Greeks didn't think that way. Um, and then the eros, the the desire, mm-hmm. the appetite of human beings, right. and so this starts to really create a theological construct that mm-hmm. we end up taking on into the time of Christ right now I thought it was fascinating I don't know if you found this in your research but that in Plato's mindset th- that these were located in p- parts of their body yes like the logos was in the uh, mind right or in the head
1: I, I really don't remember I, uh, I know I'm he pulling up my notes he says there's three parts of the soul right or the soul has three aspects there's the thinking aspect there's the feeling aspect right Um, there's the appetite kind of aspect. Uh huh.
0: Well, I'm i I finally found my notes and it's basically the logos is located in the head. Mm-hmm. The thymus is located near the chest region region and is usually related to anger. Mm-hmm. And the eros is located in the stomach. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like you know, eros uh-huh. becomes the derivative words for erotic right. or, or or this idea that. Uh, our our appetite for lust mm-hmm. becomes from that place. Right. So it's in the stomach that you yes. feel is... Yeah. Uh, it, it might be a truly good adage to say, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then we go from that into... I want to talk more about this idea of substance dualism. Okay. Uh, and we're going to skip out a little bit. You can go ahead in the
1: future. We're, we're going to skip 1,600 years or so to Right, Descartes. Um, So again, one of the big names, philosophy, uh, often called the father of modern philosophy. Uh, And he kind of either reintroduces or reemphasizes this whole idea that there's mind and there's body. Uh, His most famous thing, you know, I think I am. Right. Totally identifies that the essence of a person is as a thinking thing, and the body is just kind of what carries it around. Uh, And that seems to be, anthropologically, kind of the main view most people have. Most people really do kind of jump to the idea there's something radically different between their mind and soul versus their body.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that, because what Descartes does for theology at that time, where he creates this idea of mind and body, or matter versus soul, Mm -hmm. uh, we get the idea of... um, the ability to say that human beings can make their own choices right, and it affects their soul. Uh, but that's an earlier idea, but Descartes really inspires uh, a, a theologian by the name of Immanuel Kant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, Dr. Sarah Maurice Brewmaker, as you're listening to this, I told you I'd talk about Immanuel Kant, and he's my footnote for the evening, that he says specifically, we cannot prove a priority, priori, the immortality, ugh, immateriality of the soul, but rather only so much that all properties and actions of the soul cannot be recognized from materiality. It is from the I, or soul, that Kant proposes transcendental ras- rationalization, but causes cautions that such rationalization can only determine the limits of knowledge if it is to remain practical. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> A.K.A., I think, therefore I am.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... And the, the, the fascinating part for me is Descartes changes the way that we think theologically. Because up until, I don't, I want to say not until this point, because we have some others that really influence this idea. But this idea that if I have the ability to think, mm-hmm. and therefore I recognize that I am, then I can be like God. Mm-hmm. And if I can be like God, mm-hmm. then how can I not be? A god, right? If I can create and destroy Mm -hmm. just like our created creators and deities, Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden you have this Judeo Christian um, split, right? Uh, All of a sudden you have this whole different dialogue. Which, when you talk about the other cultures, there was never an intent that our spirit or soul uh, could be bargained for, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which Descartes, I would agree. Mm I would agree with right, right. But as a theologian, it makes it a little hard to say. Well, I could be like God, (laughs) right? But the truth is, is uh, I personally think that I have the ability to create and destroy, but I have a responsibility Mm -hmm. and an accountability to take care of the creation given to us, Mm -hmm. which kind of changes the dialogue a little bit. But we'll get into that later. So let's go. Let's go back. All right.
1: We must go back to
0: the future. we got to go back to the future.
1: (laughs) So, uh, whereas, so Plato and Descartes, substance dualism, mind-body, Aristotle kind of takes a slightly different track. Uh, I've often heard him described as maybe a materialistic view. Yes. Um, And what we get from him is he'll have a full-blown view of parts of the soul and what the soul's doing as far as making choices and interacting with things. Right. Uh, but for our purpose the kind of the interesting thing is is that for him the soul is the form of the body and the soul is not immortal so uh, without a body the soul cannot exist um, which i mean it's kind of cool because it explains things like phantom limb syndrome so right. certainly back then they had soldiers uh, soldiers would get an arm or leg cut off and try to understand how do i still feel pain you know well under aristotle's view that's because the soul is still there, the the soul of the arm is still there, and until that part of the soul dies up or gets absorbed by the body, you still feel pain.
0: Right, right. So there's a piece of you that still exists. Right. But it doesn't. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is cool, because Mm -hmm. he also then goes on theologically to talk about kind of similar to the before plants, animals Mm -hmm. having souls. Yeah, yeah. Which my daughter would want us to talk about at this point. Oh, boy. Uh, because there's so much conversation about when a pet dies, mm-hmm. does their soul go into the afterlife? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, as a parent, you you, you always try to find ways of mm-hmm. bringing them comfort and yeah. stuff. But I would say to her, Aristotle seems to think so. Mm-hmm. Like the soul from the plant and the animal. hmm uh, is reunited with the souls of humans. Right. Would you say that's about right?
1: Uh, maybe. I really don't know. Uh, I, I know he does say there's a vegetative part of the soul. And an right. Animated part of the soul.
0: Yeah, I'm having to look at my notes. and,
1: Like the vegetative
0: soul is about re- reproduction mm-hmm. and growth. The sensitive soul, that's the one I was right. trying to think of. That's the animal's mm-hmm. mobility and sensation. And humans are the thought... And the reflection. Right. So when we say a dog is a man's best friend,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's an old adage that mm-hmm. goes all the way back to him. Oh, wow. Yeah, so mm-hmm. there's this idea that animals can be and are our companions in life's journey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plants have importance because they create right. growth in mm-hmm. life. Right. So theologically, it's it's kind of fascinating mm-hmm. because at this point... I think you have to bring in Aquinas.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's the next step. Uh, And he's kind of listed as a materialist from what I read, although that's really weird because, again, with a materialistic attitude or viewpoint, uh, the the soul is the form of the body, or the body is the form of the soul. Uh, You don't have one without the other. But it seems like with Aquinas, what he adds to the story is he does think the soul can exist... Outside of the body temporarily after death, and after that, I just got to hand it all to you because I don't really know much about Aquinas.
0: Well, for him, the soul is definitely not corporeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's we know that he has an idea that it does it does not rely only on a body organ, and therefore the soul can exist without a body. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, the fascinating thing from him is is that he creates. Where the soul can be temporarily transported.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So about the time Aquinas comes into play, this is the conversation that we start having about heaven, hell, purgatory.
1: Okay.
0: So Aquinas comes up with this idea that the soul can temporarily be transported. So the church, the institutional church, remember, for those of you listening, the Catholics created themselves in around 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea. From that point on... They argue uh, until the Council of Trent in 1263. So from 325 till 1263, they argue all the time. Mm -hmm. And they they don't have another Council of Trent until 1429. And at at that point, they come up with the creation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So just to give you an idea, they they don't ever make sense. And Aquinas is in the middle of this. So he's right after the Second Crusades. Mm -hmm. And they're having this conversation about... What do we do about these lost souls? Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden the soul becomes a thing. Right. Like, what do we do with this? And um, So the church, in its best guess, said when the soul is passed on, it becomes our responsibility to pray for them mm-hmm. to be able to go to heaven. Right. Why? Well, it comes from the Gospel of John. Again, most of the institutional churches comes from the Gospel of John. And, and in that place, in John 14, verses 1 through 14, it has, uh, I go to prepare a place of many rooms. If I would not have done so, why would I have told you to do so? And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And he goes through this whole thing. And then Thomas, not this Thomas, another Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, says, I don't know the way to where you're going. And how are we supposed to know? He says, you know it through me. You, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me, and so all of a sudden Thomas Aquinas takes this idea Mm -hmm. and says, "That's what I mean." So there's a place for your soul for all the good people, Mm -hmm. those that support the church, (laughs) (laughs) those that do all the right things, Uh which is support the church financially, spiritually, physically, and all the rest of you are going to burn in hell. But if your family can't afford to pray for you out of purgatory, you're Body goes into limbo, mm-hmm. and then therefore eventually ends into the, to hell. And the reason that you know this, I mean, in your mind mm-hmm. you, you're already getting this in your head. It's Dante Alighieri, right? Uh, so Inferno. Mm-hmm. He creates this vision that talks about where the soul goes, and he has all of these multiple levers, le- levels of mm-hmm. heaven and hell. And Aquinas is, uh, is not inspired by this, but it's this idea that the soul is transported after death for a little while. Right. And it's in a limbo place. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing for me is he gets this idea from Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Like that's his whole his whole idea that the it becomes about personal identity. Right. Like the soul continues. We don't know what it is mm-hmm. and whatever we call soul, maybe we would call it our mind. Mm-hmm. So all the choices that we make on earth right. uh, determines where our soul goes. Mm-hmm. Now, for me uh to, just to completely jump ship because <laughs> I feel like we got to this right. is super heavy stuff yeah right like this this goes into the world of psychology mm-hmm. um and neuroscience mm-hmm. like there's there's a lot of science being done in the 19th and 20th century that are trying to prove the elect the uh, the electromagnetic frequency of someone's soul yeah. <laughs> after death right like and they've figured out the frequency and mm-hmm. they can see it. Uh, you start to having conversations about life after death experiences mm-hmm. um, in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century, mm-hmm. which didn't happen until that point. Because, right. again, thank you very much, Descartes and Aquinas. Mm-hmm. You guys have messed us all up. Um, we start to see this conversation in the 19th and the 20th century, which inspires movies like, oh, like Flatliners. Yeah. Like you die. Right. They bring you back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it reminds me, you and I had this conversation about
1: Star Trek and the transporter problem. Yeah. Go into a little bit more depth than that. So, uh, the transporter problem is basically so the way transporter works in Star Trek is somehow you get scanned, your body is turned into energy, you're beamed somewhere else, your body is uh, reconstructed into yourself. So, you're in a spaceship flying around, you get transported to a planet. Uh, Of course, the problem is going to be then what happens to your soul when this happens? If we have a soul, uh, is it destroyed? whenever we go. Um, Right. Does that mean that you're just a, the, the, you on the planet is now just a copy of you, but now it's a soulless you. Uh, yeah. So it it just kind of brings up this whole problem of personal identity and whether or not the you on the ship is the same you on the planet or if the you on the planet is just a a new copy and each time you get energized, you're actually dying and a new person is taking your place. Which would then make the soul fractured. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Not destroyed. You, yeah, if you have a view of the soul, it's either gets destroyed or it gets fractured or I mean that's kind of the big question, what actually happens to it.
0: Which is funny because when you and I were talking about this, we were talking about bones, specifically yeah. the character bones. Yeah. Who's a doctor? Yes. Who normally in mm-hmm. most of the twentieth century we believe that doctors are atheists, that they mm-hmm. don't believe in soul in any way, right. shape, or form. But here's this doctor in the future that right. it's, he says. Hmm? He says something to the effect of, I, don't put me in that transporter because I don't know what's going to be on the other end of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he frequently does that in episodes. Yeah. He just does not want to be transported. And sometimes it's explicitly made as just a physical problem. You don't know if something's going to split in the middle and your arms and legs end up changing places. Right. Uh, But sometimes it seems like it's more of just an identity crisis where he doesn't really know if the hymn that walks onto the transporter pad is going to be the same hymn that leaves. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and I I always thought that was fascinating. So really what ends up happening is the church and the culture, I think in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries, it becomes a marketable entity. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you use it or lose it. Right. You know, Um, in a... It, then it goes to the idea of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, like all of Star Wars, yeah, is 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 based off of the Force, right? <clears throat> and the people that have the Force have midi chlorians, but some have more than the others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good side of the Force and a bad right. side of the Force. Right. So just I'm just bringing this in, in image to our minds in the sense of the 20th century view of soul, mm-hmm. where we are now a multicultural world, uh, mm. a very broad religious conversation, but not just religious. Right. It's science is on the table. And mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting to me that George Lucas creates this idea. Mm-hmm. And that even in Europe, there was a time that you could be a Jedi as a religion.
1: Yeah, I think you still can. Yeah, you yeah, totally you can. can you yeah. can register or declare that that's what you are.
0: And, 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 and it's totally legit. Right. So I, I just think it's fascinating as we talk about the soul like, if humans had souls, when and where were they created, ultimately the question then becomes, so then what are we? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have that answer. Like right. I, I mean, right. as, as a theologian, I I, mm-hmm. I think I always come out with more questions than I do answers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, did you anything in particular that you pops up in your mind that we, we might have missed in, in the midst of this conversation?
1: Um, no, I just think you just mentioned it, this idea that the soul is somehow linked to personal identity. Because, yeah. uh, like, the identity problem is basically how is the Josh and Kevin sitting here, the same Josh and Kevin from 20, 40 years ago? Right. You know, and um, a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends came back to town, and he was talking about running into other people from our high school that we graduated with. And he said something like, you know, we graduated with them, but the person I met is not the person I went to school with. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, for the past twenty years, we've both gone we gone different paths. We have all these different experiences. So you got to ask, how is that the same person? Um, right? And one of the answers is, well, maybe it's a soul. and And the soul could modify
0: or it could stay exactly the same. yeah, yeah. and i and I think ultimately the answer to the question that your wife presented to us
1: mm-hmm.
0: is what is the soul? Uh, I think in the theological world, the answer is yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I think similarly in the philosophic world, often you're going to hear the, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, here I are some know. cool thought experiments we could do. Right. Here are the implications if we had a soul. If it's this type of soul, this is what what our ethics are going to look like. If it's that right. kind of soul, this is what our ethics are going to look like. But we still don't know what it is. Right.
0: And I think I think it's awesome that we, philosophy and theology always go back to the the thought experiments mm-hmm. and then the idea of how how do we do this? Like, let's look at it from this lens right. and look from this lens, and really, ultimately, they don't ever give you any answers right. on purpose, right? <laughs> <laughs> because maybe you might have be the next brilliant person that comes up with a new answer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, I I think uh, where this was the the goal for today's episode. Uh, so we we want to we want you to tune in next time as we start to break off from the this this conversation of super heady material into more fun stuff, mm-hmm. even though this is fun for Kevin and I. I mean, yes. we're, we do this all the time. But like the the movie Dogma. So I'm going to warn all of you that are listening to the podcast, uh, you, you're not going to want to listen uh, with children present. Just kidding. It's not going to be that bad. But if you have not watched the movie Dogma, uh, we want to encourage you to do so because it's a, a really good conversation about the 20th century Understanding of theology versus philosophy mm-hmm. and how do we handle that idea and soul is a huge part of that conversation throughout right. the whole movie so with that I would like to say thank you for listening uh, did you want to say goodbye to everybody goodbye everybody here we go